0: Well, good morning. good morning. It's a delight to be here, and it's a delight to, um, to uh, be a small part of this church. I don't know how many of you know, but Jeffrey and I have had a friendship for a lot of years. Uh, we moved full-time uh, to the valley in um, uh, 24 years ago, July 1st. And uh, hard to believe how the years have slipped by. But we were here, I don't know, two or three years, maybe four, when I got a call from Jeffrey, and someone had recommended me to him, and he was starting a Bible study at Bermuda Dunes Country Club uh, in the uh, uh, in the uh, dressing room, whatever it's called, the shower room. Uh <laughs> whatever they do in in that room. (laughs) There was a new thing that was going to take place, and that is God was starting an incredible ministry. I didn't know it that day. Jeffrey, I don't think, fully understood that God's hand on him was a mighty, mighty way. He was having guest speakers at that time. I like to tease him to say he never invited me back uh, because he started speaking. And you know the rest of the story, how God multiplied that ministry, now literally around the world, beginning in a locker room, and now um, touching so many lives. And then how the Lord interrupted him. I'm telling you what most of you know, but in case you don't know. And uh, some of you and others began to encourage him to begin a church. And he, um, as you know, he didn't respond very positively initially. And it took the work of the Holy Spirit over a period of time to convince him that uh, yes, indeed, it's something the Lord wanted. And now the Church of the Red Door is a wonderful answer to the prayers of many of you and to the blessing of all of us. He asked me very early if I would serve as one of the overseers of the church, the fact you don't belong to a denomination, you don't have an accountability system for the uh, larger body of Christ. Uh, he very wisely decided he would find a couple, three old guys uh, who've been in the ministry. Now I just celebrated my ninetieth year. I hope you laugh. That's supposed—that's supposed to be a joke. I would—I would certainly not want you to believe that. But it ha- but it has been a number of years, and. Um, So it's been a joy to do that quietly behind the scenes. And I love to slip in the back door uh, from time to time to worship with you to see God's hand on what is taking place. And now the summer is nearly over and the snowbirds will be returning and uh, the ministry will be, uh, uh, numerically, will be increased greatly in the next few weeks. I'm going to do something today. I think I've only done three other times in my ministry of preaching. And um, I am going to do a little survey of the Bible, not Jeffrey's style. No one can do his style except him. But um, to focus today on a very extremely important subject of the scripture and of the church. And of every believer in Jesus Christ. It's a subject that uh, begins in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And it continues throughout the Bible to the book of Revelation. It's an incredible theme. It's the theme of unity. And I would add the word spiritual unity. Which ultimately is the only kind of unity that God honors. Because it was his idea. It isn't my idea, isn't your idea. It isn't a 20th century thing. Down through the history of God dealing with his people to the birth of the church, the, the, the subject of spiritual unity is vitally, vitally important. You'd say, well, where on earth in the book of Genesis would we find unity? Would you believe chapter one? Chapter one, in turn if you have your Bibles and I know Jeffrey distributes Bibles regularly. So I hope a number of you have your Bibles and there's enough light in order to be able to read. But in Genesis chapter one, uh, beginning with verse 26 is a very interesting, it's a very subtle, a very subtle, this is not one with, with glaring um, headlights. This is a very subtle um, reference to the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you want an ultimate definition of spiritual unity, that's it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a part of the mystery. One God Three persons, and it's referred to here in verse 26. And then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness. Our, not mine. He refers here to the plural, not to the singular. We read in John chapter 1 and in the book of Colossians and throughout Scripture that Jesus was with God from the beginning. We know from the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Scripture, God the Father and God the Son are one. And then the Holy Spirit, the three in one, ultimate unity. But this unity in the book of of Genesis is not just mentioned in reference to uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But to us, many of us who are here today, we make Genesis chapter 2 and um, the uh, next page in your Bible. Verse 24. That is why a man must leave his father and mother and is united, notice the word union united to his wife, that they may become one flesh. God intended from the beginning that men and women, husband and wife, should dwell together in unity, but also that it's it's an offering to all human beings, that we have the privilege of belonging to a body that is dependent upon God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus being the head of the body and living in unity together. People who have never been married, they've never been involved in marriage, have the same invitation to live in unity. It's dressed a little differently, but the unity of the body of Christ. We're going to see more clearly in in, in the next few minutes. Are you sensing today when you come to the Church of the Red Door that there is a feeling of unity here? That God has brought you by the Holy Spirit to this place? And that God, the Holy Spirit, brings unity to his people? I've had the privilege of marrying scores and scores of couples, most of them young couples. And um, I always required several weeks of... uh, of uh, study in class for marriage, my goodness! Do you realize we live in a culture we study for all kinds of things, but virtually no preparation for marriage. And one of the uh, one of the sessions that we had just dealt on unity on 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 this exact subject. That when we realize. When God said when we are married, we are no longer two persons in his sight. We are now one flesh. He said that from the very beginning of creation when he created man and woman. It's been his intention. And what a way to live in unity with your wife. What a way not to live in disunity with your husband, or the case may be. And um It's God's intention. It's God's idea. Fast forward from Genesis to the book, the Gospel of John, to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spoke very specifically about the place of unity in the body of Christ. And um, it's very interesting that um, I can find my right page here. We're going to turn to John chapter 17, and many of you will recognize this chapter. It's often called the, um, the chapter of uh, spiritual unity and the teaching of Jesus. And it's interesting when it takes place. It takes place just before Jesus was arrested. It's his last teaching to his disciples before his arrest. And then his trial, and then his crucifixion, and then his death. Very, very important teaching. But it's a teaching that is a prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the scripture. And it envelops virtually the whole chapter of John 17. But we're going to look in at just a portion of it, if we could. John chapter 17. First, he prays for his unity with his father. Secondly, the unity of his disciples, who he's going to leave behind in just a few hours. It will never be the same. They've had three intense years of time with Jesus, of, of his teaching, of observing his incredible life in ministry, the miracles All that took place, now it's coming to an end. And so he's preparing them and preparing us. Next, he um, speaks to us. He speaks to those who will be born later, not those who are alive at the particular time he's speaking, but those of us who are here today. He was speaking to us about unity. But let's look at his prayer for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying for us today? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is praying for us today? Do you know that God knows you very intimately? He knows everything about you. He knows what you need. He knows what you think you need that you don't need. He just has this He's God. It boggles our mind if you stop to think. How could God, I fly into, I used to fly into Los Angeles regularly, now Palm Springs, but I'd fly in uh, often late at night and, and uh, look out the window and see all these lights. Just incredible. Almost like the stars of the sky. And I would ask the question, who could believe that God knows every one of those people? And then I would say, I know at least one. I do. And uh, so, as Jesus was speaking this so many years ago, about two centuries to be exact, uh, he's speaking today. So, here we're going to pick up, if we may, uh, verse 20. Well, yes, my prayer is not for them alone that is, his disciples. Not for them alone, but for those who will believe me through their message. That's us. And that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me boy, we could talk about that a long time. That's incredible. Jesus is praying that as surely as Jesus is in God and God is in Jesus and they are one, that we may be one with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Greatest privilege of life. Nothing can even approach it is to be living in unity with God through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely mind-boggling, again, as the case may be. And what is one of the benefits of this? One of the side effects. One of the benefits is that uh, they may believe that you, that is the Father, has sent me, that is the Son, I have given them the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one. It's a unity thing. It's not really an option for followers of Jesus. It's his deep, deep desire that we would be living in unity with him constantly, that we would be in touch with him, that we would be allowing him to not only live in us, but through us. Unbelievable. But then he goes on. I in them, and you in me, that they may be brought to what? Complete unity. Complete unity. If there is anything... That outsiders should see about the church. They should observe these are these strange people who love God. But who also love one another. And who are in touch with God, but also in touch with one another. Living in unity. Being one like the father and the son. Incredible. And, of course, added to that, because of the unity, comes the love. We'll see that in Ephesians 4 in just a moment. Incredible. That's what the church should be. There's nothing more tragic than a church that is living in disunity. When I hear about splits in the church, that's an oxymoron. The church can't be the church if there are splits. That's the work of the enemy. The enemy always seeks to divide. It is Jesus Christ who always seeks to unite, to bring us under his lordship. We are no longer individual people. Jesus said often in his earthly ministry, I'm thinking now about uh, when he was at Jacob's well and he was teaching his disciples on this subject of spiritual unity and he uh, made this statement in John chapter 4 and then repeated in John chapter 6 I've not come down from heaven to do my own thing I've come down to do the will of my father in heaven that was his earthly life seeking to obey his father and everything that the father asked him to do. That's a definition of an active Christian today. My life hasn't belonged to me for decades. I often forget that, and it's so human to take it back over. But I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a boy, It was the turning point of my life. People wonder whether children can understand the gospel, and I say readily, absolutely. I understood the gospel as well as a child, as I understand the gospel today. We may get a little more sophisticated and a little more intellectual, but as far as knowing Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, and serving him, and so our mantra should be the same. We've not come to Jesus merely to do our own thing and to ask God to bless it. And we uh, Western Christians always pray the same prayer, and Lord, do it now. <laughs> Today, I really, I really want this. I really need this. And often he comes smiling, saying, oh, dear Dear one, I love you so much. If I gave that to you, it would cause so many problems that you can't even begin to understand. I love you too much to give you that. But I'll give you this because it will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we come to Jesus, we have a whole different paradigm. I mean, how many people do you hear in our culture, in our political system, who are saying, let's be united? If they are saying it, you have to listen to the second thing that often is not said, it's inferred. And the way to do that is for you to agree with me. (laughs) And if you agree with me, then everything will be just fine. That's not the kind of spiritual unity that Jesus was speaking about. So, spiritual unity is a high priority of Jesus. That all of us may be one. And that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one. That we may be brought to complete unity. Incredible. Well, spiritual unity and the practice of the early church. As you remember, the church was not begun by a committee. There are many people in the church who can't figure that out. (laughs) Everything is committee this, committee that. I became pastor of a church uh, a few years ago, and I started reading um, the committees I served on after I arrived. That was my mistake. I didn't do it prior. And I found out that I belonged to 63 committees. I now knew my full time job was going to committees. So one of the first priorities for me was to rewrite, to take the church through a rewriting of the bylaws. And I ended up on just four committees which made a whole lot more sense, unless you want to be a, a, a pastor who controls everything. Now I'm going down a wrong trail. Let me come back to the right trail. <laughs> Let us return. Spiritual unity was the absolute practice of the early church from the first day The first day. Incredible. If you don't believe me, listen to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Many of you know this well. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I want you to know, friends, This was not vocabulary of the Old Testament. This is vocabulary of the New Testament. This was not even the vocabulary during the 33 years that Jesus lived on earth, approximately 33 years, three years of intensive public ministry that the disciples shared with him. You do not read in the Gospels and the disciples were all together in one place. Now they were when they were with Jesus, but not spiritually, not emotionally, not in their hearts. What did they do when Jesus was not looking? It was as though he didn't know what they were doing. Never can quite figure out how they thought they were getting by with it. But what were they doing repeatedly? The description of the disciples were, they were arguing. And they were arguing about a very important subject. Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they all knew that they were the one who deserved it. Who was going to be the greatest? So even when they were with Jesus, they were not what Jesus envisioned. What Jesus prayed for that day. What Jesus went to the cross to provide. Taking away the sins of the world. Those who would believe and trust in him. They were all together. In one place. And that's what brought this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Holy Spirit existed before then. The Old Testament is full of references to the Holy Spirit. But here was a whole new coming, a whole new dimension of the Holy Spirit that established the church. As I said, the church is not people's idea. It was God's idea from the beginning. And his son is the head of the church. If you want to do an interesting Bible study, a word study, this is one that you will really enjoy. Skim through the book of Acts. Don't skim too quickly. Skim through the book of Acts. I hope you're accustomed to marking in your Bible important verses. Just underline the word together and then add it up. And you will be amazed. Skim through the rest of the Bible and you'll find very few references to followers of Jehovah God or even followers of Jesus in his short time on earth described as these people are together. Friends, this is a terribly, terribly important subject. Unless you think we're being ethereal Let's get down to earth for just a minute. We're gonna have some more application in a moment. Let's talk about life as we've lived it up until now. All of us have had relationships of unity, especially when we come to Christ. I tell you, one of the greatest things in the world, I've had the privilege of traveling extensively all over the world and being involved with so many believers uh, giving leadership to the International Lausanne Committee, which has been the great movement of our generation of Christians coming together, focusing on evangelism together. But the greatest joy I have can go in any place in the world today. You, if you're a believer, if you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, you can go anywhere in the world today and go to a gr- a church of Christian believers. You don't even have to speak the language. You don't have to understand what they're saying. I'm thinking right now of a prayer meeting I had when I was, I was uh, uh, left behind from the Mission Aviation Fellowship uh, airplane that had taken me there uh, on the border of Brazil and uh, Peru in a little village where the Wycliffe Bible translators had had translated the scriptures and the plane that took us there was called for an emergency. A man had been lost a leg through a crocodile and had to be transported immediately to to hospital, miles away. So the pilot said, sorry, but you're gonna be spending the night in the village. And I wasn't prepared for it. One of the most memorable evenings of my life Because I went to a prayer meeting, and it was on the um, deck, this large, large deck. There were probably 75 to 100 Native people there praying with the chief. He was the leader of the prayer meeting. Friends, I didn't have to speak the language. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong and so remarkable. Unity of the Spirit simply because a life lived for Jesus Christ and a person in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be aware. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to live. But we also have been in situations where there is disunity. I was a denominational president, as uh, Randy mentioned, for six years. It's not something I sought. I couldn't imagine of any Ministry in the church that I would less be involved in was a denominational president. It took a while for God to convince me that I was called and left a church that I loved so deeply, had Jeannie and I... Oh, by the way, my, a little late. My wife Jeannie's here with me today. So when you see this beautiful woman, you know who she is. Uh, that's Jeannie. But... Um, Jeannie and I just agonized over leaving the church until God clearly called. And then, as I said, my life is not my own. Then it's either obedience or disobedience. And it was obedience. Nothing. When you're president of a denomination or whatever your denomination you've been involved in before or may have called it, one thing you can be sure, all the major problems of every church in the denomination suddenly become yours. And when it's really, really bad, they come to you and they ask for your help. And a common denominator of most of these situations was division, and usually deep division. And the solution for one group would be simple. The other group needs to repent and come and join us. And the other group had exactly the same insight. Isn't it amazing? (laughs) You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, talked about peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, I learned in that role, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be torn to pieces. (laughs) Only God, only God, only the Holy Spirit could reestablish the church in unity. And he can. Or how about marriage? How about marriage in my years in the pastorate? When the phone would ring at night, in the middle of the night, I always had the same prayer. Lord, help it to be the wrong number. (laughs) If not, I knew it was going to be a challenge. It may have been a teenager just killed in a car accident and the parents just broken. And uh, it may have been uh, a husband and a wife who were so divided that finally, in the middle of the night, they decided I could help them. (laughs) And it was a privilege. I don't mean to suggest it wasn't a privilege. It was a privilege to see so many of them reunited. Nothing is more tragic in a marriage to be so divided that the marriage is ended. And I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure there are a number of you who know that pain much greater than I do. It's just deep, deep pain. Thank God for his forgiveness and his restoration. And thank God that second marriages can be wonderful and blessed of God. And I won't go beyond two, but uh, God also blesses the three and the four and the five of some. (laughs) I don't fully understand it. I just believe God knows what he's doing so I trust in him and trust in him he wants our marriages to bring joy to us and joy to the body of Christ okay so the early believers were together and they were of one body what did they devote themselves to what did these early believers devote themselves to And here's a page that doesn't want to divide. Okay, here we are. They devoted themselves, this is verse 42 of chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that was the word of God, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wondrous signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. Not some, all the believers were together. I don't know whether you're from a part of the church that has talked about revival, as I have done over the years, revival in the church and spiritual awakening in the nation. The great revivalists, uh, Jonathan Edwards and others, back to the 1700s when we had the first great awakening in this nation, second great awakening, just before the Civil War, the third great awakening. And they had a definition of revival and spiritual awakening, and it was this. The manifest presence of God. And when we've had great revivals and even smaller ones, some of you may have belonged to churches where a revival broke out, there was great division or great problems, and suddenly God came. When we say when God shows up, when we sense that he is there, when we submit to him, there is great chance for revival. I'm glad that's not mine. It just dawned on me I forgot to turn it off. <laughs> There's another name for revival. When the church is united with God and the church is united with one another. I started wondering whether um, Robert or Or someone began to play the music to tell me your time is up. I've been in churches that do that. But before my time is up, let's go. One last passage. One last passage. And this is a great summary. Ephesians chapter 4. If you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Incredible statement, the Apostle Paul. And he kind of summarizes it all as we've done this brief survey across the panorama of Scripture. The spiritual unity that is the responsibility of us all. The first, spiritual unity that was God's idea. Secondly, spiritual unity that was a high priority of Jesus. Third, spiritual a unity as the practice in the early church. And now we all have a responsibility. I have been uh, amazed over the years how one person or one couple or one family can steal spiritual unity from a church. It doesn't take many. And when you have disgruntled people, I've learned that very often they find each other. The devil helps them. And they become disgruntled together. Don't allow that to happen ever in your life. Never, never, never. If you can't be happy in a church, go find another one. And it won't be long and you're not happy there. Go to another one. We have people who have traveled from place to place. One of the things about pastoring in a smaller community like my father did is, you know, if there are four or five churches in the community, they run out of churches pretty quick. (laughs) Then you have to go somewhere else. But listen, friends. Listen to the word of God. I urge you Ephesians 4, 1, I urge you, says the Apostle Paul, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We've all been called to follow Jesus. Live lives that are worthy. This is not the latest little thing that you're exploring. This is a commitment of a life. Be completely humble. That's absolutely essential for unity in the body of Christ. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Be bearing with one another in love. The church is that wonderful place where people are tripping over each other, reaching out in love and asking, how can I serve you? Not how can you serve me? What a way to live. It's God's way. It's God's intention. How did Jesus live? Jesus said, I've not come to be served. I've come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That should be our attitude as we follow Jesus. I have friends. Every time I see them, sometimes I say, I know exactly what they're going to say, first thing. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? I tell you, friends, that's the greatest fulfilling life that we can live. Not always focusing on me, me, me. I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave Himself for me. May we do the same as our leader. May we be willing to do it. Make every effort. Notice verse 3 Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Friends, there's an assumption there. The assumption is when we are part of the body of Christ, when we are followers of Christ, there is unity. 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 And when there is no unity, it's because the enemy has come and stolen it. Don't ever be used of the enemy to do that. Humility is a pretty handy thing to have, have you noticed? There's not one person in this room who knows everything. You may know a lot more than I do, but you do not know everything. There's not one person in this room, beginning with me, who is right about everything. That's why it's so good for us to cultivate the the, uh, the. attitude, the mindset, the spirit. I love to say it from the pulpit when I am going to share my own opinion as opposed to God's from his word. And I say something like this. What I'm now going to share is not in the Holy Scriptures. It is what I think at this stage of the game. It's Paul Cedar's idea. And I believe it's true, but there's only one who is ultimately true. And There's only one source that is ultimately true, and it's this book, And it is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Let that always be our source. And let us always say, brothers and sisters, if I'm missing something, if I'm wrong, if I've reached a wrong conclusion, please, please, please counsel me. Tell me. Not all spiritual truth is given to pastors. Isn't that amazing? When I was a pastor, I used to say that. And then I would add, you've probably noticed that. (laughs) As the case may be. We need God, and we need his word, and we need one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are dependent on him. So we're coming to the end. The doors are locked, so just hold on a few more moments. Live a life worthy of your calling. Make every effort to preserve the unity. Every effort. For there is only one body and one spirit. The body of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit causing us to live in unity. So as this church has enjoyed spiritual unity... May it increase. May you make every effort to make sure that the unity of the spirit is increasing. If you have a problem with a brother or sister, go to them in a spirit of humility and be restored. The scripture says if that doesn't work, take a couple others with you. That not necessarily are on your side of the issue. Your pastor, an elder, a couple elders. If that doesn't work, you are in serious trouble. You need to humble ourselves before God to see him reestablish unity. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know why God gave me this message this morning but it might be for you. You may be living in disunity right now with your husband or your wife or one of your children, if you have children, or a neighbor or who else. Or you may be questioning something in the church and you may be tempted to be used to the enemy to come to this wonderful church that has begun uniquely by the Holy Spirit. Make every effort, every effort to live in unity and to promote unity. I pray it for you and I pray it for me. So Father, that is our prayer today. Such an important subject. Lord, may we be men and women of God And young people, if there are some young people here, young people who would promote the whole concept of spiritual unity and the manifest presence of God. When we come on Sunday to this place, and as Jeffrey, that very, very gifted teacher of the Bible, Jeffrey is used by you to teach us, May we sense your presence and may we sense the unity of the Holy Spirit in all that we do and everywhere we live. We trust in you. We trust one another to you. We trust our pastor to you and the elders and all who are given to leadership. And may we follow Jesus together. May we grow together, weekly, daily, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. Oh, so before you go, Thank you. I just wanted to share with you, Jeff text us while we're in the middle of, of you teaching, and he watched, he's sitting up in Seattle, and he's watching you right now with a whole group of folks. <laughs> And he just wanted to let me, he wanted me to share with you how much he is honored that you're here today and for the message that you gave and the power of what unity means to this church and to the church as a whole. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Karen, thank you. Now I'm gonna say a word to him. Sure, sure. Now, Jeffrey, I'm gonna say a word to you. Is Seattle as far as you could go today? <laughs> Seriously, thank you for the privilege. It's been a joy to share. Thank you. All thank right. You. All right. God bless. Thank you, please, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Uh,